The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Good evening and welcome to Trad Reviews, episode 4 on the Restoration Radio Network. My name is Nicholas Wansbutter and I'm filling in for your regular host, Stephen Heiner. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have a guest today, so you're going to be stuck just listening to me and hopefully uh, I won't put you to sleep. Today's episode, we're going to be discussing uh, some very Tolkien-themed works. We're going to talk about Uh, his classic novel, The Hobbit, that really started the whole thing. We're going to speak about the movies that are currently in theaters or uh, due to be in theaters, the third installment uh, next Christmas, and we've just had the first two, the last two subsequent Christmas seasons. And then thirdly, I'd like to discuss a uh, board game that is particularly near and dear to my heart, uh, entitled Lord of the Rings by Fantasy Flight Games. Firstly, the novel The Hobbit, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, written by the famous Catholic author J.R.R. Tolkien. This book was published in 1937. It's 310 pages long, so it's uh, not huge, but it's still a fairly decent read. And I would characterize it as one of the classic must-reads, and I especially would recommend it to parents and recommend it to uh, young adults to read, or older children, um, uh, they'd have to have the ability to read uh, lengthy blocks of text, so I think it depends more on their reading abilities rather than their age. I've read The Hobbit to my children, who range in ages from seven down to uh, three, and they thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, the younger two probably didn't understand it as well as the older two, but the older two certainly uh, not only enjoyed it, but understood it. And why do I consider it a a must-read? I mean, aside from the fact that it's considered a classic fantasy work, even among secular circles, it's a book written by a man who is clearly a devout Catholic, and it has... uh, All kinds of uh, very good themes. But uh, before I launch into those, uh, for those who are unfamiliar with the work, a a brief synopsis. uh, uh, The Hobbit is named after the main character, who's uh, Bilbo Baggins, and he's a hobbit. Uh, And what a hobbit is, is a mythical sort of creature created by Mr. Tolkien that are about three and a half feet tall. Uh, They have large uh, feet that have... uh, leathery soles and fur on top so they don't wear shoes and they're uh, known to enjoy the finer things in life like tobacco alcohol and food and uh, are 
all especially known for not going out and getting into adventures. And this is the story of one hobbit who does find himself unexpectedly into an adventure with a group of dwarves who are traveling to the east uh, to reclaim their mountain home from the dragon Smog, who many years previously had uh, kicked them out, killing most of them and stolen all of their treasure. And then the work is a straightforward adventure quest type of tale as uh, Bilbo and these dwarves with the assistance of Gandalf, a human wizard. Well, actually not really a, a human, and uh, and I'll, I'll touch on that in a moment. Travel uh, to the mountain to reclaim the dwarves' gold. Now, a word about the wizard. Uh, that's something that a lot of traditional Catholics may balk at, hearing wizards and magic. Uh, they've no doubt heard some things about Harry Potter, and a lot of the traditional Catholic priests are not in favor of that work. Personally, I've never read any of the Harry Potter books, and they're not the subject of this show in any event, so I'm not going to uh, discuss them, or I don't really have an opinion. But um, some people are justifiably uh, cautious when they hear about magic. But the way magic is portrayed in Tolkien, in both this work and Lord of the Rings, is what really sets it apart, aside from the good Catholic themes, from a lot of fantasy work out there. And in my view, it's a, it's a very safe way that magic is portrayed. It's not shown as something that's occult or something that a regular human being can access by intercourse with the supernatural. And really, when I said Gantel is a human, he actually isn't. What the wizards really are is angels. They're not called angels, uh, but... Essentially, that's what they are. They're supernatural beings that have taken physical form to assist people in Middle-earth, which is the world that this takes place in. And uh, the magic is quite limited as well. In fact, Gandalf scarcely uses any magic at all in the work. So if that's a concern that you have getting out of the gate, I personally would say I don't think it's something you need to be really worried about. After that, we get over that. I mean, it's it's just a very good story, very well written. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien has an excellent command of the English language. The story is very good. It's gripping. It pulls you along. I mean, it's the type of work that you really want your children to read because it'll help them uh, develop a love for reading because it's a very fascinating, interesting work. And at the same time, they'll be exposed to some very Catholic uh, themes. It's also a clean work. I mean, there's nothing at all in the way of uh, sexual, uh, even innuendo. There's just none at all. There's no foul language. Uh, There is some violence, and Tolkien doesn't really doesn't pull punches with it. I mean, you do read about people being beheaded, about uh, orcs' heads being put on pikes. Uh, The final war battle scene is not graphic, but you you get a a sense of what's going on. But again, I think that's to to the good. It doesn't make violence seem like something that's funny or something to be taken lightly. And it it's not portrayed in a gory way. It's uh, it's very well done, actually, the the way he does it. So I, I mean, it's certainly no worse than anything you read in Grimm's fairy tales. And I personally don't think that that's something 
that parents uh, ought to be concerned about. It's a, it's an appropriate level. And again, even young children won't be scared by it the way that it is portrayed. But the themes are what really makes it a great work. Uh, the primary theme of the book is as it follows Bilbo Beggins is his maturation. At the beginning of the work, he's a very self-centered, sensual individual. He's um, not only not interested in adventure, he's not interested in any sort of suffering at all. And he's really a hedonist, although he's not particularly immoral. Perhaps gluttony and sloth would be his main faults. But as he goes through the adventure, he really matures into a very selfless and heroic character. And the way he matures into that is through a way of the cross. The adventure that he and the dwarves go through is clearly, it's a way of the cross. Now, there aren't specific allusions to the cross, but it is uh, suffering as a crucible for purifying the individual's soul. And um, that wraps in with the other central moral theme of it's real of greed versus selflessness are the two uh, competing aspects or the two competing motivations of the work. And in the end, selflessness wins out and greed results in all sorts of nefarious mischief and things getting a lot worse for the characters. So it's also excellent in that regard. And in preparation for the show, I read some commentaries on it. Some authors or some critics rather have read Tolkien to be having Bilbo as a an anachronism, a modern character who's thrust into an antique world. And I think that's an appropriate uh, analogy to be drawn. And I think that's another aspect that makes it such a powerful and excellent work for the modern reader, because I would suspect that even relatively young children may be prone to a lot of the modern sort of ways of Bilbo. His sensualism and sloth or sensuality and sloth, really come from the fact that he has a very easy life, which, frankly, modern people have a very materially easy life in any way, uh, perhaps not a spiritually easy life, but materially easy life. And as such, we're prone to a lot of the shortcomings that Bilbo has. So it's also a very important work to read in that regard. <coughs> so... Uh, I, I I don't know if there's much more to be said about it. I don't want to spoil the work in case anyone hasn't read it uh, or if they've read a long time ago. I strongly recommend that you reread it. Uh, I consider it a must-read and a must-own for every Catholic household. And uh, I would rate it, again, and this is just my personal recommendation. I'm not uh, give, ascribing to myself any sort of magisterial power, but uh, I, I would uh, strongly recommend it and give it five stars out of five stars if I were asked to rate it. Although it feels a, a bit odd uh, rating a uh, a classic like that. But that's, that's how I'd uh, characterize it. So moving on to the films, uh, no doubt listeners will have seen advertisements for these. They've been uh, heavily marketed. They follow up on the Lord of the Rings films that were done a number of years ago by a gentleman named Peter Jackson. 
and and they brought him aboard to do the film of The Hobbit as well. Now, the uh, overall uh, synopsis storyline is essentially the same, although one of my big complaints about the work is that they've added all sorts of things that do not appear whatsoever in the novel. Now, I should preface my remarks going forward that by saying that I'm actually a fan of Peter Jackson's adaptation of Lord of the Rings. I'm also a big fan of the Lord of the Rings novels. I consider them must-owns and must-reads as well, uh, although I would say that children need to be a little bit older to handle those. They're, they're definitely uh, heavier works. They're intended for an adult audience, whereas The Hobbit was intended for a, a child audience. Um, and now I know a lot of big fans of Lord of the Rings don't like Peter Jackson's adaptation, but I personally thought it was quite well done. I didn't expect perfection. I recognize that it's a different medium. There are going to be differences. And I recognize that it's made by a modern man, and he's not going to pick up on everything. But given those realities of the situation, I thought that it was quite well done, and it's something that I have in my collection. Now, the Hobbit films are a different kettle of fish, in my view. Uh, Although it's the same director, I think the biggest problem here is Tom Clancy syndrome. The Lord of the Rings trilogy was a fantastic success, brought in over a billion dollars at the box office. And because of that success, I think what happened to Tom Clancy, the author, so successful that editors won't touch him or edit him. They just let him do whatever he wants because he's the master. He And uh, him doing a film is like a license to print money. And I think that's what they did here because uh, The Lord of the Rings was a trilogy the novels were a trilogy. Uh, each one of those novels was well in excess of 310 pages. Yet he did three films, uh, each roughly three hours in length. The Hobbit, one single 310-page book, he did in three installments of about three hours each. And even if he'd done an unabridged version, it wouldn't have taken that long. So that's my first complaint, is it's way too long. And it really takes away from the work. All sorts of unnecessary things are added to fill it out. And it just feels bloated. There's a reason why 80, 90% of film gets left on the cutting room floor before a a movie makes it to the screen. Uh, Now, the cinematography is stunning. The special effects are very well done on the whole. Although, frankly, some of the CGI I didn't find as convincing as in the original Lord of the Rings films. But, I mean, the cinematography is great. Again, he filmed it in New Zealand as the Lord of the Rings films were filmed. Uh, Lots of great things to look at. But that's not what's really important about the film. In terms of the important stuff, it's just not a good, good series of films in my view. Although what's frustrating about it is the ingredients are there for it to have been fantastic. It could have been fabulous. And it flirts with greatness at many points, which makes me think that if you could get a hold of all three films once they're done and uh, edit them yourselves down to one single three-hour film, two-and-a-half-hour film, you you if you do some good editing, you could be left with a fantastic film and what The, the Hobbit should have been on the silver screen. But... As it is, it's just bloated, it's plotting, it gets boring, even to people who, like myself, are geeks for this sort of stuff. But beyond that, it's uh, 
I found it found them to be darker than the uh, Lord of the Rings films, and overly violent, and violent in a way that feels gratuitous and um, disturbing. The way it's portrayed in many parts, uh, it's tried. There's uh, almost a combination of gore with an attempt at humor and making it funny that that some of these things happen, which is the way it's done is very distasteful and disturbing. I found just to give one example, there's a a goblin King who's killed in the first film and uh, gets slashed by uh, Gandalf and makes some weird phrase. And then Gandalf pushes his head off with his staff or something like that. It, it, it's just kind of bizarre. And so I, I don't like it for that. Um, they made some very strange stylistic choices that I'm not a fan of. Um, I mean, the goblins are all naked in this film, uh, aside from loincloths, whereas in the novel, they're clearly described as wearing clothing and armor. And that's the way they were depicted in Lord of the Rings, the film. I mean, naked goblins isn't going to be a, an occasion of sin for anyone. It's an occasion of disgust. Uh, but I think that's another thing that Catholics should be wary of exposing themselves to disturbing and disgusting images without good reason. And I don't think there's good reason that the film the way it is, it just doesn't merit it. Uh, Another thing that I've never been a fan of and that was done to a limited degree in Lord of the Rings, enough that I could overlook it, perhaps with a word of caution to children when I feel they're old enough to see it, but the introduction of what I call Dungeons and Dragons warrior babes, um, of course, they in Tolkien's novels, women are portrayed in a very feminine and appropriate manner. In the film, of course, they have to get them wielding swords and wreaking havoc among the enemy. Uh, in this, they do it again by adding a character who does not exist in the in the books at all, and they even have her uh, an, an elven character. And uh, at this point, I frankly don't even remember her name, uh, but. Uh, and they even have to have a, a bizarre romance that's not even developed between her and one of the dwarves that obviously isn't in the work as well. I mean, trying to make it a children's film, yet an adult film at the same time, adding these modern, bizarre things, uh, just doesn't work. Uh, and make t- the, the film's largely gutted of its Catholic themes. There is still the maturation and development of Bilbo. There is still a lot of difficulty and hardship. But when it's buried under all this uh, extra that gets thrown in there, I think it takes away from it a lot. I'd give the films a miss, which uh, takes me for the last part of uh, our episode, Lord of the Rings board game. Now, there's actually a number of Lord of the Rings board games out there, and there's actually a number made by Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, So I don't want you to be confusing the board game I'm talking about. There is a game called War of the Ring, which is a a very broadly speaking risk type of strategy game that is also fantastic, but much different than the one that I want to talk about. And that's the board game called Simply Lord of the Rings, uh, a game designed by Reiner Kinesia, K-N-I-Z-I-A. So look for that name on the box. Uh, An an excellent game, and I guess to get us started on why I love this board game so much, which I consider uh, 
as much of a, if you're into board games at all, and I think that board games are a good way for Catholics to spend some of their relaxation time uh, rather than watching movies or doing some of the more socially acceptable or normal, if you will, uh, type of recreation. Um, to, to show you why I love this one so much, uh, I'll just talk about the game mechanics because the game mechanics are what really makes it. I mean, it's based on The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, rather. So it's already got that going for it. It's got lots of fantastic artwork, and the themes of the work are worked in very nicely. Uh, the way the board game works is you have a... Uh, uh, the players take the role of a group of hobbits who are trying to get the one ring, the ring of power, into Mordor to throw it into Mount Doom to destroy it. Uh, for those not familiar with the novel, that's the main theme, is the main character, Frodo Baggins, comes into possession of this very powerful ring, and what he does, what he has to do is destroy it, because it's too dangerous, too powerful for anyone to uh, to hold, because it'll corrupt them. So they're going to go to destroy the ring. Now, what makes the game fascinating is it's a cooperative game. Uh, it does not involve players working against each other, but rather they have to work together against the game itself, which is Sauron, to get the ring to um, to Mount Doom. Um, so it has uh, two boards, one board that tracks how much the hobbits have been corrupted by the ring, and uh, there's a track where they move along, and they'll be corrupted by the ring when certain die results are rolled, uh, when certain actions are taken. Uh, one gets corrupted by the ring if they put it on to make themselves invisible to get past enemies. But they can also make sacrifices for each other. Uh, there's one character who only takes one corruption, even if the dice says three. So he can sacrifice himself for the good of the company and take one corruption point. And then there's various things that can be done to reduce the corruption points. Then there's separate boards. There's actually four of them, which are four areas that you have to get through. And you have to move along a track and uh, you flip uh, tiles to see how many spaces you move and what type of space you move. And to get past each board, each of the players must collect uh, one ring token, one heart token, and one sun token. And if you finish the level or the board and everyone doesn't have that, then they'll take corruption points for whichever those tokens they're missing. And again, there's an interesting opportunity for cooperation and uh, self-sacrifice because one of the players will ha also have... One player has that only takes one corruption. Another player has a trait where they'll only take one corruption even if they don't have any of the tokens. So players need to talk among themselves to try and work things out so that that player is the last one to collect the tokens. So I love the uh, cooperative gameplay, and uh, I think that that makes it a fantastic family game. Uh, players have to work together to defeat the game, but it's also a fantastically difficult game to beat. I've probably played it about a half dozen times since I bought it, and we've only defeated the game once. Usually Sauron wins and corrupts the players and takes over the ring. 
So, uh, and that, that challenge is what makes it all the more enjoyable. Uh, so, although while challenging, it's not particularly complex. It may sound a bit confusing as I describe it because it's, it is an out of the ordinary, uh, board game in terms of its mechanics, but, uh, it says 12 and up. I think a bright child as young as nine would probably be able to play it without much difficulty, maybe even younger. It'll depend on the individual child. Uh, and once you, the, the mechanics are fairly easy to master. It's the strategies on how you uh, accomplish your goals is what makes it different. They're difficult. Uh, game time is about an hour and a half to two hours. Uh, so it, it's not bad. It'll definitely take up an evening, but it's not like some board games they'll take you a whole day. So I, I think that's a good medium. And uh, the components, the game components are gorgeous. It's full of all kinds of uh, illustrations and artwork by John Howe and uh, uh, images of Middle-earth, the Lord of the Rings. Uh, the hobbits are represented by little miniature hobbit figurines. Uh, so a, a very uh, excellent purchase and, again, something that I highly recommend to all. So um, in terms of a board game, a solid uh, 4 out of 5 stars if I were to rate it. And uh, again, if you're at all interested in board games, I uh, I highly recommend the purchase uh, of this one. So um, that brings us to the end of the show. And uh, I hope that you've uh, found the, my monologue on these three works uh, informative and uh, of assistance in your own decisions on what to spend your limited and valuable time on in terms of uh, reading, watching, and playing uh, in your recreation. And all of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you did find this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you in your faith, that you please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. If you have any comments or questions, uh, we'd love to hear from you. If if you'd like to hear anything more about uh, the works I've discussed, please feel free to, to email me. Um, uh, you can uh, send an email to tradreviews, T-R-A-D-R-E-V-I-E-W-S, at truerestoration.org, and I'd be more than happy to uh, discuss any of these works further. Uh, or if uh, you'd like to reproduce any of our copyrighted work, we'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, this show and all shows produced by the Restoration Radio Network are copyrighted but and uh, cannot be reproduced without explicit written permission, but such permission is uh, very easily obtained by writing to us at mail at truerestoration.org. So uh, I thank you for listening, and again, hope you found it useful. And for the restoration, I'm Nicholas Wansbutter. May God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.